What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and I'm here with my friend, Sean Pan, who is a real estate investor. Him and his uh, fiance now, fiance. right? Sharon are both real estate investors, entrepreneurs, uh, and they're both in a YouTube uh, mastermind group that I've been a part of for probably close to two years now, year and a half, two years. And so Sean is a real estate investor, lives in California, invests out of state. And I wanted to get him on the show because that's what I like to talk about. But he's also a hard money lender. So we can talk about hard money and some of the longer term financing that's available out there for investors, as well as some of the like YouTube and content marketing and online platform stuff, because well, they're both awesome at it. In fact, Sharon's TikTok is uh, probably got more followers in the last like week than I've ever seen on my page. So, uh, you know, they both have a pretty good presence and they do a lot of stuff in the entrepreneurial space. It's not just real estate. They do a lot of different things. And so it's a lot of fun. We've gotten to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years. And I thought it'd be fun to get them on the show. So Sean, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Hey guys, I want to talk to you real quickly about PropStream, which is actually one of my favorite platforms that I've ever used for real estate investing, and I really wish I'd used it sooner. So PropStream is essentially if you combined list source with the MLS or multiple listing service with the ability to comp and pull tax records and all kinds of stuff. So you can pull super, super, super niche lists like a somebody who inherited a home and tried to sell it and has 70% equity and failed to sell the home. And then you can send them letters. You can pull all kinds of listing and just more data than I even know what to do with. But you can also, if they have a property, you can see what else they own and you can do all kinds of stuff. You can skip trace. You can send mailers. You can do, I mean, everything through this platform. And I recommend you check it out. There's like a two-week free trial if you use our code, which is for militarymillionaire.com slash propstream or down in the show notes slash description. You'll see it. And uh, I recommend you check it out because I've used it now for four months and I've got four deals that were all pulled through PropStream lists. So it is incredible. Yeah, David, thank you so much for having me on your show today. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, brother. I like your, uh, your hashtag podcast shirt. Oh, yeah. I actually got this at Podcast Movement. Uh, figured, we went there about a month ago over at oh, Nashville. How was that? Swag. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, I think uh, you would have gotten a lot of benefit from it because it teaches a lot of best practices about having a good podcast. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. I don't have any best practices. I just wing things and they might work. I mean, they here. might not. I, I've been doing my show for like three years now and it's all been winging it. So it's yeah. good to get some basic, some basics in, in there. You're like, yeah, I got 150 episodes out, but I don't always remember to do an intro. <laughs> so, or I've uh, recorded one not too long ago where I didn't hit record till like three minutes in. I was like, I'm going to go back and do the beginning of this. <laughs> so nice, nice. still happens, but uh, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a background on like how you got into real estate and kind of what you guys have done so far? Yeah. So if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Sean Pan. I used to be an engineer in my past life, you know, so I went to high school, got good grades, went to a good college. And then I figured I'd be an engineer and work until I retire at age 65. But very quickly after graduating from school and getting my first job as an engineer, I realized that this is not where I wanted to be for the long run. Uh, and I started finding ways out, basically. Um, I started different businesses. I started selling products on Amazon, tried selling some, um, some like books online. 
And I even started a small quote unquote tech company with my friends, but none of those things really panned out. It was really until I got into real estate investing that I finally saw a path to me being able to leave this full-time job, aka the full-time grind, and be able to do something on my own. Uh, honestly, one of the major downsides of having that full-time job is while it is like nice and safe, um, there's not real big potential for growth. You know, you're going to be limited to what your boss is going to pay you. And if you're not happy, you don't really have that many options. So you need to like do whatever you can, especially while you're young, take these risks. And that's, that's basically what I did. And that's how I got into real estate investing. Yeah, I like it. I agree completely. Um, I tell people like the, one of the biggest benefits and probably the most overlooked benefit of a W2 is the ability to take massive risks because you can, if you, if you go out and buy a hundred properties and they all fall apart and you, you, you know, whatever, like you, you still have a job. So you're, you're not, you're not going to like die, right? You buy your first property and you're just not like, oh my God, I'm going to lose everything. You can, you can take a little bit of those risks, but you have to take those risks. Otherwise you're just going to get stuck showing up nine to five for the rest of your life, which is, yeah, exactly. which is, you know, as much fun as that could be for like a year, uh, it gets old, it gets real old. So, no, I mean the biggest, the saddest part, I guess, were people who were like my dad's age, 30 years older than me, and they were still unsatisfied with their career choices. They were telling me, Sean, when I was your age, I should have jumped to different jobs. I should have tried new things, but now I'm old. I, I don't have the opportunity to try these things, or I have a family to take care of. I don't have the luxury of taking these risks. Whereas I was like, okay, I have no excuse. Let's go and let's try different things. And so, yeah, that being said, I didn't just go ahead and quit my job right away. Right? Like I built the path. I was like, okay, let's learn about real estate investing. Let's go to meetup groups. Let's try investing. And then once I have things good, then I could feel comfortable enough to leave. And that's basically what I did. I like it. So uh, at what point did you decide that you were ready to leave your job? Like, what was that work? I, I'm in that groove right now, but you know, what was the decision for you? Yeah. So I got really lucky. Okay. So I used to work for a defense contracting company down in Southern California. We were making these big billion dollar satellites for the government. Uh, and we had this one project that required someone to go up to Northern California to work with another company. Uh, the thing is, most of the people already had families in SoCal. So they didn't want to move from Southern California to Northern California. I'm actually from Northern California. So they kind of went down the list of the most senior management positions. They said, <laughs> no, no, no. Got to me. I said, yes, I volunteer. I'm going to go uh, to work up there. And when I went up there, uh, because you are technically moving, they're going to pay mm -hmm. for your per diem, right? They're going to pay for your stay. They're going to pay for your food. So actually, I was making a lot of income for a while while moving and working up in Northern California. But the thing is, there was a deadline. I knew that in two to three years, that opportunity would be done. They would tell me to come back to Southern California and I'll be you know, getting paid my regular wage. So right then I knew I have three years to get all of my things in order and leave my job when they try to pull me back because there's no way I'm going to come back and effectively get half the pay than I was getting mm. just a earlier, right? So I already knew, like I have a three-year time frame. Let's get everything done so I can leave at that time. That's cool. I didn't actually realize that. That's a pretty sweet opportunity. I mean, don't get me wrong. San Francisco is a little bit more expensive than San Diego, but it's not. Uh, it's not so much more expensive that you know half your wages would like that. That's a significant cut still. I mean, it's um, a per diem thing. That's why, like, they're gonna uh, pay for your lodging. They're going to pay for your food. They pay for like your car expenses for some you know percentage of the mileage or whatever. And that's why your income is boosted, right? And on top true. of that, I had a property. And I started the house hacking method. So I rented oh. out the rooms to my friends, also from Southern California who moved to NorCal. They're my friends, right? I'm used to living with roommates. I said, just come live with me. Um, so it's less lonely for me. And I can, of course, lower my cost of living expenses there. 
uh, smart. The house hacking is like my absolute favorite thing that you could ever do getting started in real estate. I think that's the the best idea for uh, really anyone starting in real estate. I, I love just all different versions of it. Um, but I also like the fact that you were able to do it to essentially subsidize your living costs in a more expensive market while you're getting paid extra for living there and you're living with friends. Like that's, that's a win all the way around. Because I would also yeah. imagine you probably let them stay for a little bit less than what they would have been paying to stay at, you know, some, some other, I mean, that's not a, the cheapest market in the world. So you probably let them stay for a little bit of a discount because they're friends. And so it's like, it's a massive win, win, win for everyone. Absolutely. You know, and honestly, I hate dealing with nitpicky tenants. So I did charge them less on for another reason too, right? Like if I'm charging them less, then they're not going to complain to me as much because yeah. they know that, Hey, if, if I tell them, you know what, it's not working out, go find somewhere else. Their rent's going to be a lot more than if you just stay with me. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in San Diego, I had a roommate, my buddy John, and yeah, same thing. Charged him a little bit less. Good friend, but you know, it was like we'd work out together, we'd keep each other in check, we'd drink a beer at the end of the day and talk about real estate. Like, don't really get any better than that. I mean, aside from actually living with my family, which is usually better than that. But you know, maybe John can come. Anyway, <laughs> um, it was it was a good situation. So, all right, so you're house hacking, you're on per diem. Three years is a pretty tight timeline. Did you own any real estate other than that before that three-year mark? Or was this kind of when you were getting into it? That's basically when I was getting into it. So this was 2016-ish. Yeah. Um, but from, you know, it wasn't like I didn't know about real estate investing before that. I've probably been following bigger pockets since around 2013. Yeah. Uh, I always plan on buying properties here and there, like even in Southern California. Uh, at the time, you could buy some condo or some fourplexes for about $300,000 over in Compton and Inglewood. Uh, my girlfriend's dad at the time did not want me to buy those properties because he didn't want his daughter living with me in Compton, Inglewood. <laughs> but in any case, I decided not to buy it. I focused on school, focused on my job. And it wasn't until 2016 when I really got into it. And it was funny, I was just scrolling through Quora, you know, Quora the app. And they said, oh, what's the best way to get into real estate investing? Go to networking events, go to your local RIAs, right? Real estate investment associations. Um, so that's what I did. You know, I went to meetup.com. I signed up for almost all of the top real estate investment groups out there and just showed up. So, you know, the first few weeks you go there, no one knows who you are. They talk to you briefly and then they walk away. And the next month they see you again, they figure out who you are and you have the same conversation. So I did that for a whole year, you know, just showing up to groups, understanding the different types of real estate investing strategies uh, and where to invest if you want to invest out of state. And eventually I said, you know what? I can't just continue going to these meetup events and not doing anything, right? I need to have something. Um, so I had the funds. I just bought a property in Jacksonville just to see how it was. And not going to lie, I don't think it was an amazing home run or anything, but I think it's a solid base hit. But by buying that first property, I learned so much, you know, just from the whole process of finding the property, uh, finding the right team members, like your agent and property manager, seeing what rehab really is like, um, and then seeing the, the checks come in. You realize, wow, they really wasn't that bad. So then you can do another one and another one. And that's basically how we got our, our you know, portfolio started. Yeah. No, absolutely. I love that you mentioned the fact that your first one wasn't necessarily a grand slam, just space hit. I think that's so crucial for people to realize. People get wrapped around like, you know, not buying their first deal yet because they want to make sure everything's perfect. And yeah, your first deal is not going to be perfect. My first deal wasn't my best deal. It was a good deal, but you know, it was not my best deal by any means. But you're never going to learn if you don't just pull the trigger and go like you, you can read and learn and network all you want, but you really don't learn until you own a house and you're like, Oh, wow, this actually works. And Holy crap, I can do, you know, whatever. So I think that's a really powerful point for people to understand is that 
you know, doing your first deal is more important than like how good your first deal is, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously you want to get the best deal you can, but even if it's not the education you're going to get out of that, as long as it's not a, not a, you know, terrible deal, um, you're going to be totally fine. And it's going to pay you so much in the long run, just from what you learn from that. Absolutely. And I think the risk is also relatively low too. Like if you're buying a regular house for a long-term rental, you're getting, you know, property for just 20% down. So for a hundred thousand dollar property, you're really only risking $20,000 upfront. Um, so even if you lose money, it's, it's, it's unlikely you're gonna lose all of your money, right? You're not gonna yep. lose $20,000. No. If you can hold it for a long term, you can make the payments, then over the long run, you are you know, most likely gonna be better off than not doing anything. And of course yep. you learn so much from the experience. It's just, it's really worth it to just get started and try it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I also love, I, I wanna key in on something you mentioned a minute ago. So I just before this, I literally like had just finished recording a video talking just through a couple of limiting beliefs, one of which was imposter syndrome. And I said, Hey, the reason that, or the way to get out of imposter syndrome, in my opinion, there's a couple of ways, but the main one is get around people who are doing what you want to do and they will push you in the right direction. Right. Cause it's, it, and it's exactly what you just said. You can't like the mentality of, I can't keep going to this meetup and not doing something. And like that's, I think that's huge. It's just getting yourself around the right people because if you're around people who are doing the same thing you are, they're going to kind of poke holes in your excuses. They're going to really help point you in the right direction. But it's also going to give you that comfort that, like, okay, yeah, I can do this. Right. And I think a lot of investors get stuck with just never pulling the trigger because of the what ifs and the fears and the, you know, I think so much of that could be quelled if you just got around the right people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing about imposter syndrome too, maybe you're just not like used to it yet, right? So for the first year, I was an engineer, right? I didn't feel like a real estate investor yet. I was an aspiring investor. I want to be one. But now that we've been in the field for a long time, we post about real estate investing on our social media and stuff, it becomes a part of you. So, you know, even for the people who are watching your content and they feel like they're an imposter, maybe it's just a time thing. Like over yeah. the next year, if you keep talking about real estate investing, you keep investing yourself, you are going to be a real estate investor, right? You're going to feel good about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't know the first thing about podcasting, you know, and I was super like, who am I to even talk about real estate? So I just started interviewing people, asking questions. And now I'm like, well, I've done all right now. So I guess I can talk about real estate. So you just got to grow into it. Yeah, exactly. you, you become what you focus on, right? All right. So you buy this first house out of state, Jacksonville. Obviously, it doesn't go so bad because you are quit your job already. Uh, what was that timeline? Like, what, what was it you focused on over that three years to really make sure you were set up for exiting the military or the military. Sorry. That's my own <laughs> life exiting the W2. Uh. Yeah. So actually it's, it's kind of interesting. Like my, my story has a lot of ups and downs. So after buying, you know, that first property, I bought a second property on auction again, pretty similar process, except when I financing it, I buy with all cash. Um, my property manager came in and did the whole rehab for around $15,000. So all in, I was in for about 55,000 and the rents for about $800 per month. So nice. not a bad deal. Yeah. Uh, then later on, I'm like, you know what? This whole single family business is cool and all, but for every property owned, I have a tax bill, an insurance payment, and a mortgage payment. That's three documents for one property. If I go for a fourplex, that's three documents for four units. So that's why I decided, okay, let's scale up and go to multifamily. So then I bought a fourplex. But then I ran into the same issue that a lot of these buy and hold investors have. You run out of money, right? So of course, I was still making money for my full-time job, but it really wasn't at the pace that I wanted to quickly scale my, like, you know, quote unquote empire. Yeah. Um, of course, during that time, I started looking into like multifamily syndications, how to grow, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but the thing is, in the Bay Area, a lot of real estate investors here are actually big time flippers, and they're doing like seven figures a year. And I'm thinking like, wow, if these guys can do it. I I should be able to do it too. Uh, and so in 2017, you know, I was continuing I was continuing to go to these meetup events, and uh, I, you know, as a person who wants to provide more value, I actually signed up to be like the check-in guy. So I was nice. checking in people at the meetup groups. Otherwise, they wouldn't remember my name. Like that was the real reality of it. People don't remember no. who you are unless they see you all the time. So that's why I was checking in everybody. Um, the person next to me. She was also like a growing real estate investor. She is now actually a really big investor. She has her own YouTube channel. Uh, her name's Lisa Covington with Transform Real Estate. Okay. So at the time, both of us were like just starting out, right? And she had um, already done a couple of projects. Her money was kind of lent out to other flippers, but she came across an opportunity where she didn't have enough funds to do it herself. So she came to me and said, Sean, I know you've been looking for an opportunity. Do you want to partner with us on this one? And I said, yeah, sounds great. Um, this property just happened to be like one block down from where I usually like where I got lunch like every day. So I knew the area very well. It was about two blocks from LinkedIn's headquarters campus. Cool. Um, the purchase price for $865,000. The contractor said it would be done for $50,000 to $75,000. And the ARV at the time was 1.2 million. So I thought, oh, that's actually a pretty good spread. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I got into my first flip. Um, of course, again, you have to learn everything about, um, how to get a flip project, which is very different from how to buy a long-term rental property. Like how do you deal with buying a property off market, how to deal with, um, short timelines and how to deal with a hard money lender. Yeah. Uh, but then long story short, we did all that. We have the project and the property actually sold for $1.4 million instead of 1.2. So we made a lot of money on that one deal. And I was thinking, dang, flipping is easy. I basically made like three times my base salary in one flip in three months. So I'm like, why do people work full-time jobs? <laughs> you know? I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Let's keep doing this. Um, so anyways, I, I started flipping more houses. Some of them went really well. And then I got caught up with a big fat head and I got too many properties. I over leveraged and then I lost a lot of money on those. So that was not fun. So then it was a, basically an up and down roller coaster ride. But I knew long-term, this is still the way to go. Um, yeah. There's more opportunity by doing it this path versus working that full-time W-2 job. Uh, so that's why at year three, even though I may not have been completely set up with a nice fat, you know, cushion, um, I was already making decent income from my rental properties at other sources of income. And I felt, you know what, no matter what, I don't want to work full time in an industry where I don't really get anything from it. Right. Like me being really good as an engineer only helps me good as an engineer for this company. Like it's not transferable knowledge, right? I can't start my own satellite company or I don't have any aspirations to. Whereas if I work on real estate, there's so many like avenues that I can benefit from it. And that's why I decided to leave, even though I didn't have this huge nest egg to just retire off of. I like it. Yeah. And I, I've had some similar downs in my up journey, uh, but you know, the ups always outweigh long-term for sure, at least in my experience. So, and that's cool. Mm -hmm. I like it. All right. So you, you make it through year three. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing on the social platform and then let's get into some hard money. So I know you've got YouTube, you got a podcast, you guys both yeah. do um, various different income streams through some stuff online. So can you kind of unravel that a little bit? Because I, I you know, personally just enjoy talking about those kinds of things. Absolutely. So. so, I mean, like I mentioned, a few years ago, I made this huge win from my first flip project. And of course it felt great because I made a lot of money in one shot. But then after thinking about it, it kind of left me a little bit empty inside, you know, because I felt, okay, who made, like, who really benefited from this transaction? 
I did for sure because I made a lot of money. My real estate agent, kind of, you know, he did the work and he got his commissions, but he only made, you know, his commission split. The sellers obviously didn't make that much money because they sold to me at a discount. Um, and of course, like, long story short, I didn't feel like it fulfilled any kind of uh, altruistic goal, right? I felt like the only person who wins from this China transaction is me. Mm. So I wanted to find a way to like bring more benefit to the world. Um, and that's honestly why I started the podcast. I wanted to share the information with other people who were kind of just getting started as well. And just like you in the very beginning, I was kind of just sharing tips. Uh, but then later on, I decided, you know what? The podcast is actually a very powerful platform because now you can bring on guests of your own to come talk to you and you get an hour of free consulting from some of the best minds in the industry. Yeah. You know, like when I was, when I was first getting started, I was very nervous. So I would often just go to the meetup groups and sit in the back, take notes and then bounce right after the meetup was over. Cause I didn't feel like I had anything to contribute to these other people. Now at the podcast, I can go up to the speaker and say, Hey, I love your presentation. Can you come on my podcast and, you know, share your knowledge with my audience? He's willing to drive, you know, an hour to come speak to a meetup group with a hundred people. Why wouldn't he be able to come on my podcast, not even drive anywhere and be able to speak to hundreds of people who listen to my podcast? So it was a much better value prop versus, Hey man, I love your presentation. Can I uh, take you out to lunch? You know, they're like, yeah, but I don't want to drive an hour for just lunch with you. I don't, I don't need the 20 bucks for lunch. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas a podcast was a better, a benefit to them. And of course it increased my networking a lot. And of course I can share that information with the world. So all those things were kind of the main reason why I started my podcast and it's been going on for three years strong. Yeah, no, I actually agree completely. Um, I learned, I guess not the hard way, but that really hit home when I had this one gentleman on my podcast. I didn't even know who he was at the time. I saw him post something in my Facebook group and I was like, oh, this guy sounds cool. Let me have him on my podcast. And lo and behold, he runs like this monstrous flipping network, his seven figure flipping and and all this other stuff. And I'm like, holy crap, this dude's doing a ton. Um, you know, and exactly that. I got like an hour of his time to ask the questions I wanted to ask, learn, grow, whatever. Uh, but it's beneficial to them as well. In fact, now we we host we co-host a real estate invest event together for service members. I'm speaking at his event. Like, you know, it's become a big thing, but you're exactly right. Like if somebody reaches out to me and they're like, hey, I want to pick your brain. Can I buy you food? It's like, well, you're there's got to be some reason there to do that because that's a, a lot of time that I could be spending focusing on something else to, you know, essentially just give you information, right? That, you know, the, the lunch isn't what I'm looking for. So I, whereas like a podcast invite, like I've never turned a podcast invite down because it's like, well, you never know how many people are going to listen to that. Yeah, um, and it's fun. All you're doing is talking, right? Yeah. Just having fun, you're chatting. I, there's no commitment to you. Like I didn't have to drive all the way to where you are to have this podcast, right? I can do it online. No. So it's great. Um, yeah. So anyways, that was the podcast and I've been doing it again for three years straight. Um, but then let's see, maybe six months into the podcast, I actually had a call with Graham Stephan, right? The big YouTube celebrity guy. He told me straight up, he was like, Hey man, podcasts are great and all, but they don't spread very much. YouTube spreads because they have an algorithm. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that's actually how I got into YouTube. Um, YouTube's also pretty interesting too, because the content is a lot shorter. These podcasts mm -hmm. last for like an hour. YouTube yeah. is like 10 minutes. And it's like condensed information. You can like share these links. They're more visual. And of course the information spreads. Um, so I've been doing that for about two years now. And it's been interesting, you know, again, similar ups and downs in terms of like how I feel sometimes, especially when you see other people who are like skyrocketing. But at the end of the day, you have to remember like, why are we doing this? Okay. Yep. And it's like, yeah, the views are good and all, but you're doing this because like, honestly, it helps you learn better when you have to teach other people yep. like a skill, right? Like if you want to 
if you want to be really good at physics, try teaching physics. You'll have to like learn a lot. Yeah. So same with real estate investing. Um, another value kind of add component that I created is I created a meetup group. So we were meeting up over locally in like San Jose twice a month. Then with the pandemic, we shut that down and made it to a virtual meetup. So I'm still doing virtual meetups. I had one yesterday um, and we usually get like a hundred people or so to show up virtually. So those are all like fun activities. And then the beauty is because I had this platform and I wasn't working a full-time job, my hard money lender who I was using reached out and said, Sean, you're referring us so much business. Why don't you just work for us? And so I did. And it's, it's been great because now I have a way to monetize, you know, yeah. but also like my, my full-time job is to talk to investors, even like yourself and just say, Hey, like, what are you up to? And how can we help? How can I help fund your dreams? So some of the projects I've helped fund are now these like super amazing, beautiful homes. And I can like screenshot them, post on Instagram. Like, Hey, we help fund this. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love synergistic things like that. Right. Where it's like, you know, I was kicking myself earlier. Cause I'm like looking at my whiteboard and I was like, I've been doing this for two years and I could have monetized it so easily, or, you know, I could have made a little bit extra money doing it. Um, so I'm going to start doing that thing, but like, that's so cool. Cause it's like, it just kind of flows, right? Like as you grow your platform, it's kind of amazing how some of these opportunities come to you and you're like, Oh, you mean I can make money helping people the way that I'm already. Okay. You know, yeah, and it's basically like, everything that we're doing right now for free we cannot get paid for it. And not even like a, a sleazy way. Right? I don't feel bad about giving people loans. No. I'm funding their dreams, dude. I'm Santa Claus. You know, <laughs> I'm out here giving people money. <laughs> Santa Claus. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I think that's a great model um, because you're exactly right. Right. You're not, somebody is paying you to like for a service that is actually going to benefit them. And right. As long as they did all their numbers, right. They're going to make so much money on that deal that, yeah, or or even if they're gonna you know hold it long, like whatever they're gonna make a, a killing on it. So yeah, you're it's yeah. a great deal. So One yeah, of my okay. clients just made six hundred and fifty thousand dollars on his foot <laughs> that I funded. You know, so I'm like, all right, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's man. I haven't made that much on a deal yet. That'd be pretty sweet. Um, next year, next year that'll be yeah easy money. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. That's incredible. All right. So you get into hard money lending with this company. So what does that look like? Like, I'm curious you know, just from like, cause you've been an investor, right? Or you are an investor. Um, what are some things about like the hard money side that you wish you'd known when you first got into lending from hard money? Woo! We'll be back with the show in just a minute, but I wanted to take a brief second and say that, look, you are already obviously investing in yourself by listening to this podcast. But if you can't figure out how to get past all that daunting crap that you just don't know how to sort through and you're trying to get started in real estate investing and you're just stuck, I, I mean, it happens to all of us. It's daunting. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know everything there is to know and you don't know really where to find all the information. So that is why I created the Real Estate Investing for Beginners 0 to 1 course, which is solely designed to get you from, I want to invest in real estate to, holy crap, I have a rental and it's cash flowing. And this course is not going to be anything super complicated that you won't be able to understand. It is just designed to teach you how to build a team, find investments, finance investments, conduct due diligence, close on the investment, and then operate it so that you can enter the real estate investing world smoothly. So if that sounds like something that interests you, definitely check out the link below. And it's cheap as hell right now. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good question. So I guess before we go into that, let's go into like, I guess hard money itself. So okay, for okay. those who don't know, hard money loans are a loan that's based on the asset, 
more so than your personal credit worthiness. So we just comp- just compare it to like a traditional loan. Like if you went to Wells Fargo or Chase, like why wouldn't you go to Wells Fargo or Chase in the first place? Well, with those with those like big banks, they are going to look at you. They'll check your credit score. They'll look at your W-2 or your tax returns, and they'll see how much you can qualify based on that income that you get. So that qualifier is usually called a debt to income ratio. But if you already have like a property for your own personal residence, or you already have a lot of rental properties, there's a good chance that your debt to income ratio is already kind of tapped out and there's not enough room to get another loan for another flip. So in my personal example, I had a property here in the Bay Area. I had other rental properties in Florida. There was no way that I was going to be able to fund this $865,000 flip project over in the Bay Area as well. Like that opportunity where I made 300000 or so would have been impossible to get. Right? Um, but with use of hard money, they say, okay, you have the reserves for the down payment. You have the reserves for the construction. All you need is the financing. Then sure, we'll give it to you. Now, of course, because we're not looking at our debt to income ratios, hard money loans are often a lot higher than conventional financing. So for a typical loan right now, you can maybe get an investor loan for maybe 3.5 or 4%. For a hard money loan, these are going to be in the you know 8.5 to 10% range. And they're usually short-term, only 12 months, and usually interest-only payments. So like that's the main difference of hard money, okay? It enables you to do deals that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do in the first place. So again, you have to be careful, right? Because if you buy a deal that's not the best, it's really thin, and you're getting hard money on it, then there's a good chance that you're going to be paying your lender all the profit, and you're going to get nothing, or you might lose money. Yeah. So um, now in terms of like what I wish I knew now that I'm in it, um, the, the good thing is because I was a client before, I have used other hard money lenders. I know what investors like and what they don't like. So I feel like I'm pretty good at being a loan officer for my job. Yeah. Because I've seen both sides of it, right? Um, here's the thing. Money is like a utility, like your internet, your water, right? It's money. Um, doesn't matter if it comes from you or if it comes from them. If it's cash, it's good. Yep. But when it comes to like using the right hard money lenders, it's not always that simple because every hard money lender has their different processes. Um, maybe they have different ways they operate too. So some lenders will tease you with like a really, really low rate up front. But then when it comes to actually closing, they'll be like, ooh, like, listen, like these things came up and your rate's actually a lot higher now than we promised you. Um, sometimes I'll also promise like a really short like timeline. I think we'll close in five days. Turns out, ooh, we actually need 15 days. You know, sometimes it's, it's not like their fault. Maybe you took too long to get the papers or whatever, but sometimes it happens. Yep. But long story short, you need to like talk to other people who've used these lenders and understand like their reputation. Cause sometimes it's worth it to pay a little bit more to work with someone who's like reliable. You know what I mean? Because if you lose out on a deal where you could have made $20,000, who cares about paying an extra point, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. If, they, if, they, if you're working with another lender will kill your deal, then go with the one who's more flexible, who's easy and more reliable. And I think really the only way to do that is talk to your own local network and like kind of understand like, are these people trustworthy? Yep. And that's what I wish I knew. Yeah. Yeah. And I think talking with your local network is important too, uh, for someone like my standpoint, right? Like we were talking before we, before we started the show, uh, there were two or three deals I would have used hard money on when I first started out here and nobody would touch them because they're so low, like such a low amount of money to lend that it wasn't worth the hard money lenders time. Right. There's only like, if you're only tying up like $30,000, it's not really worth the effort for them to, to loan on that. Um, and they wouldn't touch anything under, I think 75 and, 
you know, I had some deals out here that were cheaper than that. And so what I was able to do though, is go and find local guys who would touch that because they're used to that market. They're used to those spreads and they, you know, I've worked it into their values. Um, it, you don't yeah. necessarily have to be local by any means, but definitely talk to local investors and ask who they're using that's that's working in their area, right? Or, or even if you talk to investors online, but you you want to get, yeah, I think that's valuable. And um, I always, whenever well, I talk hard money, I always say, uh, make sure you don't wire them money. You you send it to to escrow. I, oh, yeah. I, I almost got scammed by that once when I was a a youngin. Like, oh yeah, just send the money straight to me, and we'll wire you the yeah, rest. Yeah, the, the only money that you should be sending to the harmony lender directly is if they have an appraisal fee or some kind of like survey fee. Yeah, like that's fine. But everything else is usually paid at close, like the uh, the origination fees, the processing fees. That usually goes to escrow, and then they get paid out at close. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned something that I want to get back to, uh, but I forgot. Crap. Uh, I was talking about uh, local investors and local... Um... Oh, I guess for, for that point, yeah. I guess one of the reasons too that you know hard money lenders won't deal with those low price points is because it takes the same amount of work and processing power to fund you know a $70,000 deal and a million dollar deal. But the lender gets paid a lot more on that million dollar project. So really, I mean, from my own experience too, if a deal is usually under $100,000, usually we've been able to self-fund that or we find a private investor who can fund it. Because like $100,000 isn't out of the you know, realm of reality for most people. Some, some people have that kind of savings to just lend you that money. But when it comes to funding like a million dollars, $2 million, or you have multiple deals and you need basically an unlimited source of capital, that's when you would use a hard money lender. That's when you need like this person who will always be there for you and won't run out of cash. Because if you use a private money lender, then yeah, after two or three deals, they're going to be tapped out. They're not going to want to overexpose their funds for you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And and I mean, it all goes back to relationships, right? If you do you do more volume with them, right? If, you, if you've done, you know, four half a million dollar deals with someone and then you're like, hey, I got this one, but it's it's 90, like it, they might work with you. But if, if it's your, your first deal ever... Um, Another question. So for you, like, uh, what kind of experience are you guys looking for when you're looking for hard money? Will you take like a first time house flipper? And and if so, like, are there additional buffers in there for, you know, I mean, obviously it's a little bit riskier for a hard money lender than for a bank lender, which is why you guys are able to charge more interest because it's, you're taking a little bit bigger risk by just lending on the asset and not really understanding the client's financials. Um, so what kind of like protections are you guys put in there for like experience level? Like how does that work? Yeah. So I would say in general, the biggest defense for any lender is the amount of leverage that they put out. So like the points, the origination fees, like the rates, that's all the profit, but the protection is the LTV. So for newer investors, we like to see that they're not going any higher than 80% of LTV. So 80% of purchase price and maybe 80% of the rehab budget. For more experienced investors, we can go higher to like 90% of purchase, maybe even 100% of rehab on top of that. And that's kind of like the difference that we have. And of course, pricing changes too. So if you're a more experienced investor and you've done a lot of repeat business with us, then we can lower your rate as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? It's all about volume. And I mean, every everything plays into risk. So the less risky you are as a borrower, the more experienced you are, then you know the better better it'll be. Uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you do long-term stuff as well. Uh, yeah. what, is the, what, do, what do you guys do with that? And kind of what's the difference through that stuff? 
Yeah. So the long-term rental loan program is super exciting, actually. Um, cool. It's a relatively new product for basically many of these hard money lenders out there that came out like kind of right before the pandemic started. So within the one or two years, uh, essentially it solves the problem of scaling your rental portfolio. So in the past, a lot of um, big time real estate investors in the single family or the one to four unit space, you know, they would buy a property, they would refinance or refinance it, and then they would get to 10 different loans and then they were capped out. So maybe they would have 10 loans in their name, 10 loans in their spouse's name, and then they were capped out too. Uh, another issue that they came across was the debt to income ratio that we mentioned before, where they have this huge property, let's say like in the Bay Area or San Diego, and they have some rentals out there, but they can no longer get more rental properties because their debt is too high relative to their income. So this long-term rental loan program solves those issues because we base the loan on the income that the property itself generates instead of on the borrower's individual like income. I like it. Yeah. And there's no like limit, right? So you can have 10, 20, we don't care. Um, there are some protections in place. Like I think they don't want to have, you know, more than like $5 million of loan exposure to one particular borrower, but you know, no one has gotten there yet. Um, but the thing is back then before this project existed, um, big time investors would cap out on their, you know, conventional financing. And then they would go to private money lenders and say, Hey, um, you know, we're going to buy this property. I'm going to finance it with you and the private money lender to make it worth it while are probably going to charge them eight, maybe like six to 8%, right? Yeah. 8% is what I've been seeing usually. So now we could do these same loans for let's say 4%. And to them, that's an amazing deal. So yeah. that's where most of my business comes in. Like we come, we talk about it. They have no idea this product exists and we can refinance their 8% loan down to 4% for a 30 year fixed loan. Right. Wow. Most commercial loans are 25 or maybe they're even five years. Um, they're five-year loans or I guess five-year loans with a balloon payment at year five, but they're spread out across 25 years. Right. So 25 am. Yeah. So straight up 30 year fixed loans at, you know, four or 5%. So it's actually pretty good. Yeah. That's solid. They even have a 10 year interest only program where it's still a 30 year fixed loan, but your first 10 years are interest only. And then you pay out the loan the next 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Now there, of course, cool. there's some downsides to this loan. Like there's a prepayment penalty period. So with a regular loan, you could refinance the very next day. Who cares? Uh, with this loan, they typically want to see you hold it for at least three years. Um, you can even go up to seven years if you want to lower your overall rate. But these are just some of the little like nit things here that I make YouTube videos on and they're, they're pretty popular because it's a very new product. Um, and it makes me really excited because it's like, I can see the future, right? Like this is how we're going to scale and get yeah. more and more and more properties. What kind of loan to value are you doing on, uh, you know, like a 30 year fixed at 4%? Yeah. So again, this is kind of where this product has its pros and cons. Uh, realistically to get to 4%, you're going to be at 65% LTV. Okay. So it's pretty low, but yeah. most of the people who are doing this kind of like refinance is for their whole portfolio and they're doing it on properties they own for a long time. Yeah. So it does work for the birth strategy where you're going to buy a property and the refinance later, but usually your LTV won't be that low at 65%. So you're going to yeah. have a higher rate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, realistically, 65%. That's kind of like where I've seen the rates go at 4%. Yeah. But I mean, it's still, it's scalable, right? So if you, if you have a little bit higher, even if you were paying 6% interest on it at 30 year fixed first, first off, I think a uh, fixed 6% interest rate everyone's like, Oh my God, that's terrible, but give it 10 years. That'll be amazing. So you're not going to be complaining about a 10, a 6% fixed in 10 years when rates are where they were in the eighties or whatever the economy does. Yeah. Um, 
but I also right now, actually so right now I have a property. Actually, I have several properties that I bought back in 2017, right? My first Jacksonville ones, my rate there is 5.125. And I was okay with that. Yeah. For me, I'm like, okay, well, I'm making a lot more money from cash flow anyway. 5.125, 4%. Like it's not that big of a difference. I might refine in the future, but it's not like something that's on my mind all the time. Like, oh my God, I need to save a hundred dollars here. And, you know, it's, 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 it's good, but not that great. Yeah. I, my first uh, property was five and a half percent interest. My first like uh, 10 unit. And then I dropped it to five and a quarter. Now it's four. Um, well, it's, yeah. Yeah. That one's four. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, like it's really not that big of a difference. <laughs> so it's like, if I was able to get, if I had to pay 6% interest, but I was able to do a burr after I've already got 20 properties under my belt, no one else is going to lend me like 6% interest isn't the end of the world for me to get loans and scale. I mean, that's, that's lower than I'm paying a, you know, a, a private money. I mean, I'm paying i I'm doing a deal. I close in two weeks and I'm not putting a penny into it. So I'm, it's going to be purchased by private money and then I'm gonna roll it into my bank and you know, I'll only have it under private money for a few months. Uh, but even that I'm paying 1.10%, right. Cause it's, you know, Hey, the price I got to pay to move it quick. I mean, I send an email, I get, you know, I get funding. It's a, it's a great deal because I'm not putting any money of my own into it. So my return is great. I'm going to have equity and all these other great things that you're walking into, but it's definitely not a four to 6% fix, like long-term 30 year loan on the private money on the buy side. And I'm going to have transactional fees on both of those, you know, both the closing and the refi. So it, it adds up for sure. So that's really not a bad deal Four to six, you know, and that's of course, awesome. Like when you refinance, then you can pay back your other lender so they can give you more loans. Because yeah. like the problem comes like you can't I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna hit that wall money, soon. Right? Yeah. Exactly. He's gonna run out of money. He's like, hey, Dave, kind of surprised I, I, I haven't. Money. I'm sorry. You must be a really I'm, rich guy. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm like, I should actually have already hit that wall. I think it's just because some of them are, you know, like actual like business or commercial loans that don't, they're not, they're not the same realm. Um I don't know. I should be over that limit. Maybe I just have a really cool, I mean, he, he is portfolio. So maybe I've just got most of my stuff in portfolio stuff where it's in house. I don't know. Um, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Uh, but he's not going to be able to do everything that I do. That's for sure. So eventually, uh, eventually he's going to come, it's going to come back and he's gonna be like, all right, you cut off. Can't keep doing this for you. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I much. think it's good to just have a bunch of different lenders, right. For all different types of scenarios. Yeah. private money lenders for your smaller deals, have hard money loans lenders for your maybe medium deals, and then have these large commercial lenders for your big multifamily projects. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The longer I'm in real estate, the more I'm realizing that the answer to almost every problem that you can possibly find as an investor is just find another good deal, right? Like for the longest time I was convinced I don't have money for this. I won't be able to buy that. I won't. Like, it's crazy to think back to five years ago when I first started and I was like, there's no way I'll have money to buy another product. Like I was able to walk into this guy's house, walk around this fourplex and say, I'll give you 90 cash. Well, I said 85, he came back at 90 um, cash. And then I had three weeks to be like, all right, I got to find somebody's money to, to buy this. Right. And, and it happened, it worked. And it's like, it happened because I've got a good deal. The person knows me, they like, you know, they trust me, whatever. Um, but also because it's a deal where like, there's a, it's a good play for, there's a 50, 50,000 in equity. When I buy it, it's going to be refinanced out in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe, um, you know, it's a very short play, but it's a quick hit. You know, it makes sense for them. It, it's a win, 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 win. I got a track record, whatever, but like all of that just stems from finding a good deal. 
right? If you find a good deal, you can find financing but it, through all of these programs. Yeah, I agree. And I think some of the best real estate investors, they do just that. Like they find the good deal first and then they figure it out later. And it always tends to work out because they have a good yeah. deal. Yeah, absolutely. Because the the alternative is you go around asking people like, hey, would you lend to me? Would you lend to me? Would you lend to me? You know, and you find out all these terms that's all well and good. And then you're like, never have a deal. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's a, it's a yin yang thing. Obviously you got to do it all, but man, the better I get at finding my own deals, the better everything seems to work out for me. Um, so it's, it's good. So, all right. So what's next, right? So what, what, what's the, what's the future look like for Sean? Well, um, as you mentioned, you know, Sharon and I, we got engaged recently. Uh, we've been doing a lot of like social content, you know, we're in the same mastermind group as you. Yeah. Um, so I think for the near future, you know, we're going to continue building up this like content creation site because it's very nice to be able to document the process. Um, I am still working very hard as a hard money lender. I talk to investors all day, every day and give them loans and that business has been going pretty well as well. We're actually planning on converting this house here into an Airbnb, possibly moving out of state for a year or two. Uh, and to like, you know, set up operations in another state. Um, you know, we recently got hooked up with like, you know, PropStream and, uh, you know, you, you, like you mentioned, uh, uh, ballpoint marketing and even RE Simply and, you know, using those tools to create more of like a wholesale slash flipping business as well. Um, so yeah, those are all very exciting things for us personally, for our own investment porf- uh, portfolio. Yeah, that is very exciting. Uh, if you decide to come out to the Midwest, let me know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, vacation. none of your, I was gonna say, none of your properties are out here. So I can't imagine you want to start setting up shop here, but uh, all of my friends who visited so far were impressed. Uh, and yeah. not, and not just because I took them in the backyard and let them shoot long rifles and drive four wheelers, but um, anyway, <laughs> so, all right, well, that's, that's exciting. Uh, but again, congratulations to you guys. And I look Thank forward you. to seeing your platform grow. Um, I don't know if there's, is there anything we missed? No, I think we covered everything. Um, from the show. Uh, Where can people so, get a hold of you? Yeah. I mean, if you guys want to reach out to me directly. Where do they get to watch you da- dance on TikTok? Yeah. Well, if you want to see me dance on TikTok, that's Sharon's TikTok. Okay. You <laughs> find her on Sharon Sung. She has like 480,000 TikTok followers. It's uh, pretty no, nuts. She and she forces exploded. me. Yeah. She forces me to dance sometimes. And I'm just like, oh my God. You can see the pain in my face during those dances. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember we were like on a YouTube chat and I think it was Chris was like, oh my gosh, you had that one video do well. And all of a sudden she was like, everything just i was like holy crap and then instagram reels and everything i mean she just blew past me on every platform that yeah. could possibly be vertical video and i was like must be nice yeah, like 115,000 on instagram now it's crazy she gets dm'd all the time from random people yeah 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 and i mean and the cool thing with that not that this really i mean people don't think this ties into real estate but like man the opportunities you get out of that is crazy yeah. People take you a lot more seriously when you have a big social presence. That's for damn sure. Yeah. You know, like before when we would send out like, you know, email blasts to other agents, like, hey, you want to work with us? You know, sometimes they were nice. Sometimes they would just ignore us. Now with her like profile, her links, they're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we'll meet. So yeah. it's a lot easier getting meetings basically with like with that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what's the best way to get a hold of you if anybody yes. wants to reach out? So if you guys want to reach out to me and talk about hard money loans or questions about you know investing, possibly investing out of state, then you can reach out to me directly. Uh, my email is Sean, S-E-A-N, at everythingrei.com. If you want to check out the YouTube channel, that's Sean, uh, youtube.com slash Sean Pan Invest. And then my podcast is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. And you can find that on Apple Podcasts or on the Spotify app. 
Absolutely. And we will link to all of that in the show notes, of course. Uh, anything you want to, any imparting words of wisdom you would like to leave the audience with before? I have like two or three questions that I always ask my guests, uh, but they are all like very specific to service and military and would not apply. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. um, I guess, I guess I could ask you uh, what your favorite book is or what resource you would recommend to anyone looking to get started in real estate. There we go. We'll wrap up that way. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we do have a course that's really go. affordable, only like $350 or so um, that teaches you guys how to buy your first out-of-state rental property. So it's really good for people who are kind of on the fence and not sure how they can scale and buy properties in a place they've never even heard of. Right. Um, I know that was a big challenge for many of my friends and even, you know, Sharon herself when she first got started with out-of-state investing. So the course is called Remote Rental Riches. And if you want, I can even give a discount code to your listeners. Yeah. Um, what what code would you like me to put down on that? Uh, I don't know, just military? Military. Okay, so just go to remoterentalriches.com. Or sorry, uh, just look up the, the course Remote Rental Riches and then use the code military for a 20% off coupon. And nice. I'll do that just for you. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> and your followers. you. Yeah, no problem. We appreciate that. And of course, like there's a lot of books out there um, that I've read to just get started to kind of understand what's, uh, what's going on. One of my favorite books was the ABCs of real estate investing. I think it's one of the, uh, you know, rich dad series. Yeah. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, I think the best way to get started is to network in the very beginning. So go to your local RIAs, kind of find out like what type of investing do you like to do? Are you more into multifamily? Are you more into single family, long-term stuff? Do you like short-term rentals? Find out, kind of understand like the different types, the different pros and cons. And then follow someone that does that exact same strategy as you. Um, and honestly, you, like you said in the beginning, you are not going to learn as much from reading a book or listening to a podcast or watching a video than just actually doing it yourself. Like doing it yourself, you're going to become a master after like one or two tries. So, you know, try to do it ASAP if you can. Right on. Well, hey, Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Dave. And I'll uh, show. talk to you, I guess, in a week and a half on our YouTube chat chat oh i'm gonna see you in person at fincon oh that's right that's right we're gonna we're gonna do a drink we're gonna i'm gonna get with sharon i'm gonna be like yo uh come dance on my tiktok and help me blow up <laughs> please and then it's not Sounds gonna good. work because they're just gonna see me and they're gonna be like "Ooh, who's this asshole but, <laughs> <laughs> oh man awesome yeah i look forward to it we're gonna have to hang out there that's gonna be a good time yep we will do absolutely brother have a great day Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.